Sentire media. Taci, sulle soglie del bosco, non odo parole che dici umane, ma odo parole più nuove, che parlano gocciole e foglie lontane. Ascolta, piove dalle nuvole sparse, piove sui nostri volti silvani, piove sulle nostre mani nude, sui nostri vestimenti leggeri, sui freschi pensieri che l'anima schiude novella, sulla favola bella che ieri ti illuse, che oggi mi illude. Quiet, at the edge of the wood, I do not hear the human words you speak, but I hear newer words which speak of drops and distant leaves. Listen, it is raining from the sparse clouds, raining on our sylvan faces, raining on our bare hands, on our light clothes, on our fresh thoughts, from a newly opened soul, on the beautiful fairy tale that yesterday misled you, that today misleads me. In the last episode, we followed the life of Italian poet, adventurer and soldier Gabriele D'Annunzio and brought him up to the start of what would be known as l'impresa di fiume, the endeavor of fiume. Today we will continue that narrative and see how Gabriele D'Annunzio ended up. Now, the group, this band of, uh, this mixed band of army officials, volunteers, Uh, there's not many career officials here, but a whole band of, of volunteers, let's say, make their way towards... Even uh, trade unionist uh, revolutionaries. Yeah, various. So, so, as you were saying before, from left to right, a whole yeah. bunch of... A collection of different people that start making their way towards Fiume. Now, Fiume was actually, after the First World War, was occupied by, let's say, official Italian troops, whose job should have been to stop this uh, expedition Uh, indeed, they were stopped once with the threat of, of, of being shot at, to which Gabriele very dramatically opens up his jacket, showing his bare chest and said, you know, if you must shoot, shoot me first, which then deters the official and, and they allow them to proceed. The sort of thing happens a second time. The official Italian army attempt to stop the expedition. Once again, D'Annunzio shows his chest this time with his medals, pointing at his medal for bravery, saying, if you must shoot, shoot here. And again... This the, is marketing. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is great, perfect, great. perfect marketing and <laughs> symbolism. So, you know, saying, shoot here if you must shoot. And again, the official can't bring himself to, to shoot. But, I mean, this would have been a sort of fratricide, you know, Italians fighting against Italians. So, again, they let them proceed. The expedition obviously required logistics and trucks. So, an Italian general, sort of dissident general, had actually promised D'Annunzio 
20 trucks for the expedition. But when the general showed up, mind, he got cold feet. So it was at that point that D'Annunzio pointed his gun at the head of the general and says, please give me the trucks. And, and the trucks were uh, duly handed over. So with these troops then swelling, because as D'Annunzio's expedition made its way towards Fiume, Croatian friends, please forgive us because we're not very good at pronouncing the current Croatian name of the city. And in Italian, it's known as the Imprisoned Fiume. We, we don't want to take it back anymore. So no, no. We're quite happy we don't need uh, it. without no. it. We don't need it. So it's just that it's easier for us to say Fiume. So they make it uh, all the way there. And uh, at the time, the city had a strong Italian, uh, strong presence of Italian population. And they were basically welcomed as liberators. Yes, because Rijeka Fiume was a until 1400 was dominated by Venetians. So they spoke Italian and Venetian dialect. And during the, the march from uh, Ronchi to, to Fiume, uh, lots of soldiers, Italian soldiers, uh, they met on the, on the route. And they joined, they the, joined expedition. the expedition. Yeah. That was uh, uh, not... Um, that cost any life because nobody was hurt in this... Uh, in, in the initial uh, expedition. Uh, the march, uh, exactly. You know, exactly. Because the Nuncio, the, 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 idea, the ideas of the Nuncio, ideas, uh, the ideas of the Nuncio... The was, action of the Nuncio was, was a kind of action. Every Italian uh, supported him in, in that particular moment. It was the, the government, the Italian government, for to uh, oppose this uh, um, idea because it, it, they didn't want to anger the allies, anger the allies yeah, after yeah, the yeah. World War. Yeah, yeah that's, that's an important distinction, Matteo, I think, because, you know, the, the Italian government was forced to oppose D'Annunzio in a certain sense. I mean, if it had been for them, as, as often in Italian history the Italian government has done, they would have been happy to wait and see how things went. You know, the unification of Italy itself was a case of the Piedmontese government sitting back and waiting to see how the Garibaldini did and, and then decide what to do afterwards. This is, I, this is typical Italian. Exactly. <laughs> Wait and see. Maybe it's uh, from Machiavelli. Uh, possibly, yeah. So the government at the time would have been the Nitti government, which had come in after the fall of the Orlando government, which would have been the one who uh, basically left and then went back to the Treaty of Versailles. That government fell. And so then we have the Nitti government who sends a telegram asking the, the Italian generals to, to crush this, uh, this occupation. But for the moment, nothing really happens. Be also because the, the Italian government didn't really know how far they could trust their own army. I mean, there was absolutely no guarantee that the regular army was willing to fire upon D'Annunzio because this, as you said, from left to right, this was a very popular endeavor. It was a very particular period in Italy. And so the, the army stood still because there were lots of um, movement came uh, from the ideas from Moscow, from the October Revolution, from the communist revolution in Russia, uh, this movement had uh, some fallback in Italy. And they, they feared that in Italy could uh, blow up a sort of a revolutionary movement. And so the army stood still because they knew that this movement that was moving toward Fiume was built uh, uh, by two different uh, sides of the society, from the left and from the right. And... Um, this this movement to, to Fiume could start could spark a revolution in Italy. Also in Italy, yeah. Also the, in Italy. the risk was that if the 
if immediately if the Italian government had immediately opposed the endeavor by force, there was a real risk that the rest of Italy could have risen in rebellion. It was the a rest very of Italy, unstable time. Uh, Indeed, it was workers it was, and uh, soldiers that were that uh, fought the First World War. You could unite together and, and fight against the. Uh, the government, the bourgeoisie government, exactly, and exactly. Uh, pull it, it out. And then it was this great instability that you mentioned, Matteo, which was later exploited by Mussolini, uh, who managed to take power uh, again. You know, in in a, in a constant turnaround, flipping from one side to the other, and, and he finally managed to take power, posing himself as the protector of the bourgeoisie from, you know, this evil uh, Bolshevik influence. And interesting, interestingly, actually, that you mentioned sort of the Soviet Union and a sort of uh, the Soviet Union was actually one of the first international countries to recognize Fiume and, and Danunzio's uh, authority over Fiume, which, which is also quite interesting. And again, another reason why it's difficult to sort of associate or, or consider Danunzio a fascist because, you know... Uh, it's, it's, it's quite... It's, uh, it's not correct to, to define Danunzio a fascist. You cannot place Danunzio in a particular <laughs> political way. Is uh, sometimes you can say he's a lefty fascist, uh, anti-bourgeois, uh, elitarian, and decadentist. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. yeah, big, big. Indeed, you know. Then uh, at this point, we can say Danunzio and his uh, band or, or his, his uh, irregular army find themselves occupying Fiume. And now what do they do? They need to govern the place. They need to form a government. And in, in the formation of the government as well, I mean, his, for example, his foreign minister, uh, so Ron Kocineski, for example, was a philo-Soviet, uh, you know, he had very strong support for the Soviet Union, for example. So far from fascist position, you could say. Others, maybe less, another prominent member of his uh, government, of his organization, was a man named Guido Keller, who instead looked towards the Orient and the refusal of, of the capitalist society. You know, already back then, uh, we had these movements looking towards the Orient. Indeed, he, he formed what was known as the, the yoga movement because they were interested in, in sort of uh, Eastern cultures which refused Western social values. So it was a very interesting big mix. It was uh, like a sort of, of hippie commune exactly. with, with some Nazi <laughs> exactly. between. And, and, and that's actually, that's perfect, Mattel, because as I was sort of reading up on the, on the whole business of humor, I thought this sounds like a hippie commune, you know? It is, was, it is. And, and it indeed. exactly was. And indeed, you know, the Fiume in, the, in that year, more or less, because we're talking about the endeavor starting in, in September uh, 1919 and then uh, at the end Fiume was taken back or, or let's say liberated in a certain sense by the regular Italian army at the end of 20 uh, sorry at the end of 1920 so little more than a year but in that year Fiume became sort of laboratory a very a place very far ahead of its time uh, it's a sort of uh, uh, um, the city of freedom, sexual freedom, political freedom. Divorce, divorce. Divorce. Homosexuality was, not uh, forbidden. The homosexuality was not forbidden. Total equality between men and women. And who knows, maybe, you know, that, that could have been one of the reasons why people were so quick to want to repress this whole yes. thing. Because it, it went against A dangerous everything. experiment. It was it's very... Cause it for, went, bourgeois, for the bourgeois. Absolutely, <laughs> because it, it went against almost all of the established values that, that were there at the time. So. And the important thing is, is that this uh, they made uh, a sort of uh, constitution for this uh, for Fiume, which is called the Constitution del Carnaro, del Quarnaro, sorry, uh, 
which uh, n maybe some nobody knows that uh, a part of this constitution became a sort of uh, a base a base for the Italian constitution which came after the World War II because there was a very intelligent work on uh, primary rights which were transferred into the Italian constitution almost 20 years later. And the Nuncio thought about a sort of a collectivism in the industrial uh, production. And this sort of collectivism in industry was very attractive to the Soviet, which, as you said, exactly. recognized, recognized the, the republic. The... Uh, republic, yes, a republic. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, we mentioned the, the Costituzione del Carnaro. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we'd gone over some of the, the most interesting points. So we said uh, equality between the sexes, possibility of divorce. Just a reminder, I mean, we're talking 1919. Divorce did not become legal in Italy after that until 1974. <laughs> we needed a referendum to... Exactly, with, with a, a referendum. So, I mean, way, way ahead of their times. So equality between the sexes, we said, uh, corporativism, but in a real sense, you know, as we said, workers' rights, not the corporativism that then Mussolini would use to basically squash uh, workers' rights yeah. under, under fascism. And, and so, you know, peace and love and, <laughs> and a free Sex, uh, community. And, and I think <laughs> at the same time, mm, what, what comes out of, 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 of the studies on the, on the year, sort of, of the period of, of Fiume under D'Annunzio's rule is this maybe sense of that it couldn't last forever. So th there was this desperate sense of partying, constant partying, because maybe everybody knew that sooner or later yeah. this experiment it would It was end. a projection of his, of his life. I think D'Annunzio thought about Fiume as a sort of a, a picture of his life that couldn't last forever an idealistic uh, view of what life should be, but that couldn't last. He knew it couldn't last. And indeed, uh, in the 1920, uh, the Nitti government falls. And that, that's what we do in Italy. Our governments come up and they fall, you know, a couple of times <laughs> every a year. year. Every year, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Last few, last few, last 20 years or so, they, they've lasted a bit longer, but they, they shift around a bit rather than actually uh, falling. So the Nitti government gave way, and once again, on the scene comes the old fox of Italian politics, uh, Giolitti, who, although D'Annunzio thought he was an astute and able politician, he now comes up against somebody who actually was an astute and able politician, for, for good or ill, obviously. So, as we say, Giolitti comes along and he manages to outmaneuver uh, D'Annunzio. Uh, from an Italian point of view, he pulls off quite a masterpiece of diplomatic... Uh, uh, magic, which is the Trattato di Rapallo, the Treaty of Rapallo, which uh, between Italy and Yugoslavia, which basically saw Italy get practically everything they wanted, with Fiume becoming a free state, but with the condition that D'Annunzio had to leave Fiume. D'Annunzio refuses. Yeah, uh, he doesn't accept <laughs> it because at this point he became convinced of something you mentioned before that maybe the experiment of Fiume could be exported he really started to believe that this revolution could be exported to Italy and maybe to the rest of the world, and that time maybe had come to expand these ideas to the rest of the world. Or maybe he is a, has a decadent, has a poet. He wanted to, to be under siege and yeah, a, a, a great risk way to go his out. own life. Yeah, as a, as a work of art. Yes, as a work he, of art. His death could be a work of art. Yeah. And so the act for the act... 
try to destroy Fiume, I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not moving. budging. I'm not, I'm moving. not moving. I'm not budging. It could have been, yes, yes, just uh, the dramatic flair and the act for uh, itself. So faced we don't know. With... This is the fantastic thing about Danunzio. We don't know if he did what he did for a sort of uh, uh, ideal convention, or, or maybe he just wanted to to be a part of. It the, was just another a, play for him. A play, a, yeah. a wonderful play, because yes, his yes, life great, great has been a very wonderful play. Exactly. Fiume was put under siege by an Italian general, uh, Caviglia, uh, who actually uh, quite irritated uh, D'Annunzio, because we must remember D'Annunzio is first and foremost a poet, so General Caviglia wrote to him in bad Italian grammar at a, a certain point saying, uh, chiunque il quale, no, uh, which no. <laughs> trans- yes, translates into English something like, Whoever he who. <laughs> and so from that moment on, when D'Annunzio would uh, talk to or, or write to Caviglia, he was no longer General Caviglia, but whoever he who, uh, just to, to sort of make fun of him a little bit more. Uh, but in the end, when uh, faced with the bombardment of his palace and his uh, office window by the, uh, by the battleship, the Andrea Doria was actually shelled D'Annunzio's palace. That's when they gave up. The, the, the attack, the Italian attack on Fiume uh, saw about 50 victims uh, on, on, uh, on both sides, 50 total between both sides. And at least, you know, in a, in a nice gesture at the end of it all, recognizing fratricidal attack all of the 50 were buried together so the the, the people inside and outside fiume uh, buried together and that was basically the end of uh, d'annunzio's political career in uh, in a certain sense then he retired Retire, to yes. this this beautiful place that matteo strongly recommends because one of his favorite places in italy the in italy, vittoriale in italy, in italy. so uh, tell us something about the vittoriale matteo uh, this is a wonderful villa and uh, and the Garda Lake near Salò. Mm-hmm. And the Nunzio retired after the siege of uh, Fiume. And they collected all these memories, all uh, these uh, his relics from um, this endeavor in this villa. He took the prow of uh, the ship that was uh, uh, in the arbor uh, near Fiume and he took it to, to his villa, which is now this pr- the prow is... Yeah. Uh, the prow of the ship is stuck in the stuck, mountain. Stuck in the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Near the villa, and you can find all the the uniforms uh, and uh, um, and his library, his private library. library with all the books on cars and car components and his his own writings. Relics of war or the uh, the World War One. Yeah, yeah. Because he, we must remember that also in, during World War One, it was quite an adventure. I mean, his was the famous flight over Vienna. Yeah, uh, there's the, the plane in which he fl- flew uh, upon Vienna, yeah, so throwing, uh, throwing manifestos. Flyers, flyers to the, to the Austrians, exactly, asking them to, to surrender, basically, if I remember. And uh, he, he's buried, he's buried in, the, in this villa, and uh, around him there are the, 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 thumb, the thumbs the tombs of, of the people, of the most important officials or... Uh, well, the, the members of members the endeavor. Of the endeavor of Fiume in a round uh, tomb, very, very moving, moving, which stands upon the lake. Uh, if you see on Google mm-hmm. and uh, the Nuncio's tomb, you will see his tomb in the middle. And around him, you can find the tombs of, 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 his of com- the people. Of, of his comrades of the, in arms, in a sense. His comrades that uh, were buried beside him. 
But D'Annunzio didn't die in 1919, or, no, sorry, 1920. Uh, he, he didn't die until 1938. And uh, as we were saying at the beginning, he was a bit of an uncomfortable... He was actually in a sort of uh, prisoner situation. Indeed, he was watched very carefully by the fascist police because they didn't really know what to do. Obviously, they couldn't really harm him because this was the national poet. This was the Vate. This was the, one of the great symbols that had been as the basis of the fascist ideology so they couldn't really harm him in any way and take him out of the picture and and you were saying Matteo one of his last uh, endeavors was his attempt to convince Mussolini not to enter the pact with with, uh, with Hitler yes he thought in Verona he tried in the last uh, public apparition of Nannunzio he went to Verona meet, to meet Mussolini that came back from Berlin he tried to speak him to tell him not to ally with the Germans because he knew he hated uh, Adolf Hitler. He knew that it would be a disaster. But he was uh, uh, he the was old man. He, he yeah. was out of uh, fuel. Yes, yes, <laughs> he, he had no more. He was games. old. He was, he was uh, seventy-one. I mean, destroyed by his life of. Uh, of excesses uh, and uh, alcohol cocaine. and drugs and... Uh, and uh, he had no more appeal on, uh, on the public Yeah, uh, he had opinion. no sway on... He tried this desperate uh, endeavor, but he couldn't uh, succeed. And this is very sad. We have some photos on the, in the internet. If you um, write D'Annunzio, um, Verona, Mussolini, you see uh, an old... Uh, uh, D'Annunzio standing behi behind Mussolini, very sad, looking at him, and you you can think he, he thought the, the uh, this is over, this is over, yes. the disaster is uh, is near, it is complete, yes, 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 and who knows if he had lived through the Second World War, or maybe he would have joined the partisans at this point. No, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I right. think you know, knowing D'Annunzio at this point, he would have been a resistance fighter up in the up in the mountains somewhere. So, and then or, there is an interesting back backstory that uh, when Mussolini went to Rome, the march and uh, the march on Rome, yeah, nineteen twenty-two. Pandunzio was uh, um, was offered to to be prime minister. Okay, so they offered the prime ministership to, to, to D'Annunzio rather than Mussolini. Yes, mm -hmm. they, um, some uh, Giolitti uh, mm -hmm. or maybe some other uh, politician. Politician, I, I don't remember. I, I remember, but maybe Fact at the time Facta, would have been the prime minister. No, I don't know. Should meet him, but uh, but in the day was fixed for this meeting. He fall out uh, from the balcony. <laughs> And and uh, he always thought, uh, uh, talking about this episode, he said he called this uh, uh, flight from the balcony the volo dell'angelo. Uh, okay, the the, the the flight of the angel. And he couldn't meet the Italian uh, politics to, mm -hmm. to to negotiate to the possible prime minister. The possible prime minister, and uh, in the in the history, this episode was classified as a fight between. Uh, um, D'Annunzio and uh, one of, of his lovers. It was ah, okay. jealous. But uh, the backstory is that uh, someone, someone pushed him pushed off him, of the balcony to avoid Which he risked his life. It took uh, several months to, okay, uh, to, 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 to get better, to, to recuperate back. from that. Il volo dell'angelo. He fell from this balcony. In, uh, so instead of having Benito Mussolini as a prime minister, we could have had Gabriele D'Annunzio. And maybe uh, the, the maybe. fate of Italy would have been very different. Maybe. No. 
For sure, for sure. <laughs> Not something worse than Mussolini. Yeah, yeah it'd be hard to have gone worse. So it, it could have only gone better, we hope. So, and so I think we've done a good job of, of covering D'Annunzio and the Impresa di Fiume, the Endeavour of Fiume, which, which then would become part of the uh, fascist legend or, 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 the, or the fascist rhetoric, let's say. Although uh, we, we think we also did a good job of pointing out that um, Gabriele D'Annunzio himself was not uh, a fascist. Maybe... He should have done more than uh, than what he did. He had the power to overthrow this situation. Maybe not to overthrow Mussolini, but to to correct the to direction that the, maybe the fascism went. Let people understand what was happening. He did something, but it was too late. It was in, too late, and not like enough. we said before in Verona, it was too old. And too Mussolini little, w- too late. It, Mussolini was too strong, and the world was going to yes, the tragedy that. Yeah, something to say maybe about the uh, perceived inevitability of, of history. Sometimes we see as inevitable things that in reality maybe uh, were, were not. No, no, they were not. They were not something, someone could, could have done something to stop this tragedy. Yeah, which, which I suppose is also a good message for, 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 <laughs> for the what's happening we're in today. today so. We hope you enjoyed our little chat. Remember, as always, if you want to, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. And you can also support the show by going to the support page and becoming a Patreon supporter or make a one-time PayPal donation. We thank you very much if you decide to do so. In the next episode of Fascism 100, we'll be exploring the phenomenon of squadrismo, Benito Mussolini's band of armed ruffians. Until then, thanks very much again for listening and resistete. Resist. 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 podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.